You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today is the third and final episode in our series of the discussion of the new era of green tree reservoir management in Arkansas. On our previous two episodes here on the podcast, we spoke at length with Luke Naylor of Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and Jake Spears with Ducks Unlimited on the history of the problem, its diagnosis, and then the development of solutions and their implementation. Today, we're going to wrap up this conversation with a very special guest. It's certainly my honor to welcome in this guest, a great friend and partner of Ducks Unlimited, Mr. Austin Booth, Director of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Austin, welcome to the podcast, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. I've had a a lifelong affinity for Ducks Unlimited growing up in Lone Oak County, Arkansas, and and it is my honor to be here. Well, uh, I appreciate that. And before we get started, I'll just notify our listeners here. We are recording this particular episode on Wednesday, November 10th. Tomorrow is November 11th, Veterans Day. So I would be remiss, Austin, if I did not take this opportunity to say thank you to you. I know you, you served in the United States Marine Corps, and so Happy Veterans Day to you. We're, um, I'm wishing you this, a, I guess, one day early, and then by the time this airs, Veterans Day will have passed. But like I said, I would be re- remiss if I did not take this opportunity to thank you for your service to our country and then and also your, your continued service to, to the state of Arkansas and all the resources with, within it. So thank you very much, Austin. Well, thank you for that. And I do not want what I'm about to say to undermine my gratitude, but today, November 10th, 
is the 246th birthday of the United States Marine Corps. So if you know any Marines, you know that our birthday is a big deal for us. We get really excited about it. Uh, So happy birthday to any fellow Marines out there. And thank you very much uh, for your appreciation uh, in light of Veterans Day tomorrow. I appreciate you breaking that up too, Austin. I saw that on Facebook this morning, and that's one of the reasons that that I actually saw it from a couple of different people, just as you said, uh, uh, Marines are are very proud and rightly so of that birthday. It's a very special day. and, And so, is really cool as we look across our Ducks Unlimited membership to find those points of intersection with our with our military, U.S. Marine Corps in this in this particular instance, and then of course tomorrow Veterans Day. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up there. And so you've you've kind of already introduced a little bit of your background, but that's typically the first thing that we do, especially for our new guest on the podcast, is give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, many of many of the listeners on this episode, I know, are going to be constituents in, in your state of Arkansas, but give people an idea of who Austin Booth is, sort of as a, as a person, from your, your personal background, and then then your your travels along the way, whether it be your education and how it came to how how it came to be that you uh, you you're the director of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission now. So I grew up in Lone Oak County, Arkansas, little town called Scott. I have not uh, seen the 2020 census numbers from what the population of Scott was, but I do know in the 2010 census the population of Scott was 72. Um, so I grew up in a really small town surrounded by row crops. And so you, you can just see the natural connection between, uh, duck hunting and how I was raised. Wasn't just duck hunting though. I tell people that, that the formative years of my childhood were, uh, if I didn't have my head in a book, I was in a John boat sitting in a deer stand or on a five gallon bucket. Um, so went to high school in Little Rock and, and, and left, left the state. Uh, to attend the Citadel, which is a military school in Charleston, South Carolina. I got my law degree from the University of South Carolina, and none of our Arkansas listeners should in any way construe that to mean that uh, I am a South Carolina fan, uh, always been a devout Razorback fan. And then I accepted a, a, a commission in the United States Marine Corps in 2010 and hit active duty in 2011. That was a tremendous era of growth for me as an outdoorsman because uh, I left my home state where I had, you know, public land that was some of the best in the country that we could hunt on. Uh, you know, my dad was a frequent leaseholder. He had family and friends that had access to land. But then I was the first person uh, in the Booth family to have the opportunity to go to college. And I give all that credit to my parents. Uh, but I left the state. And so I found myself right where a lot of younger outdoorsmen are now uh, saying, hey, I'm an outdoorsman, want to be outside, want to duck hunt, deer hunt, fish. How do I do that in a state where where I don't have any kind of natural access? And that only continued in the Marine Corps up and down the East Coast. I was stationed first in Paris Island, South Carolina. Spent a lot of time in the Marine Corps as a criminal prosecutor, both in Paris Island and then in Quantico, Virginia. Uh, I duck hunted my tail off. For uh, many seasons on public land in Virginia, and then uh, deployed to Afghanistan 2015, 2016. Came back from Afghanistan uh, and went to work on the hill for three years. Following the hill, I uh, moved back to my home state of Arkansas, 
was the chief of staff for the Arkansas Department of Veterans Affairs. I've gotten this question at each of the public meetings we've had on our GTR changes. They say, you're 35 years old. How did you get to be the director of the Arkansas Game Fish Commission? And um, I always tell them the same thing. I said, hey, are you ready? Because if if you ask, I'm going to tell you. And they're like, yeah, I'm ready. And I said, I, I read the paper and I saw where the former director was retiring and that they were going to hire a recruitment firm. And I Googled the firm. I found the job posting and I emailed them a cover letter and a resume. <laughs> and they're just blown away because they think it, 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 it was some kind of, you know, convoluted political process. And it was not. Um, I, you know, I was at a point professionally where I care deeply about the outdoors. Uh, I'm at a point in my life where I've got three small kids at home and it it is the most important thing to me uh, as an Arkansan uh, that they enjoy the outdoors to the same extent that I was able to. Um, So I had that kind of conviction. I had a professional background in leadership from what the Marine Corps gave me. And then my last three years on the Hill uh, were spent um, a lion's share of working with the Marine Corps budget and how and how to represent that to the public, how to advocate that uh, uh, before decision makers. Um, and so th- those three baskets um, an Arkansan with outdoor conviction, professional experience in leadership, and then also, you know, working at the intersection of government and budget, you know, led me to put my name in the hat. And I've been in the seat since July 1st. Wow. That's a, that's a really impressive and inspiring story there, Austin. Um, I appreciate those details. And and you're right. The combination of that experience that you have positions you incredibly well, uh, positions you incredibly well for this position during any time, but Certainly now, because the decisions that y'all are making are not easy decisions, but they carry with them some incredible weight, some incredible importance, and and it takes some really strong and thoughtful leadership to to make those decisions, to stand behind them, and and to carry it out. And and it's all of those areas where you have experience are going to come in handy, and I'm sure they have already come in handy, very valuable as you uh, as you navigate, help navigate your agency uh, through this process. So that's. That's really cool, and thank you for sharing that that story. And and yeah, I think every, uh, pretty much everyone that that learns that you're the new director probably probably does a double take on your age and starts to do the math and it's like, wow, <laughs> this guy yeah. this guy must be really impressive. What's his skill set? So, thank you for, for sharing that. Let's move on here to to the discussion, and we're going to come back. I'm quite certain to some of your experience in some of these leadership discussions. Uh, as we as we get into this, what I will do at this point is encourage our listeners, if you have not listened to episodes one and two of this GTR management t- discussion, please do so. It lays the foundation for everything that we're going to talk about today and, and some of the perspectives that we're asking uh, the director for here. Uh, so it just I guess briefly what I would say, though, is in those episodes, we covered the history. We covered the diagnosis of the problem. We covered the the assessments that Luke was talking about and how the Game and Fish Commission came to really understand and quantify the health of those forest systems to figure out what needed to be done, working with engineers, working with hydrologists, working with foresters, a whole litany of areas of expertise to figure out what some of the needed solutions are going to be. 
we talked at length on the on the last episode about these solutions uh, are are not going to be easy to implement. They're not going to be quick. They're not going to be cheap, and they're going to lead to some some times of discomfort for Arkansas hunters and other people in the state of Arkansas that have come had come to depend on the I guess predictability of that GTR management schedule through the years. And so, um, yeah, that's. That's what we, we want to kind of pick up that conversation and, and get your perspective on it from a and, and answer some other questions sort of as as the director being in a very key leadership position uh, for for some of these these decisions here. So Austin, let me just start with this from your perspective. You've you've kind of touched on this a little bit already, given your history as an Arkansan, um, but. What does this mean to you, the nature of these decisions, how difficult they are, and the importance of them? Why is it important to you? Why is it important to to the people of Arkansas and to the waterfowl resource to be making these very difficult decisions about how to change, how you're going to change the GTR management schedules going forward? That's a great question. I, you know, I'll start with the personal side of it. Um, you know, I hunted these GTRs when I was a kid, and back in August, I had the opportunity to tour Hurricane Lake Wildlife Management Area, one of uh, our GTRs around the Cersei area. And I'm sure y'all have covered this previously, but in 2014, so seven years ago, our forest health assessment showed that 42% of our red oaks were either dead or irreversibly dying. And so I wanted to go and see it because uh, it, it's one thing just to hear that number on a podcast or to see it on a piece of paper, but it's another thing to actually go see it. And we, we, we went to this one stand that's right in the heart of the timber decline. And I took a picture that we've been using in our public meetings. And the only thing, the only thing that was taller than the buck brush uh, were either cypress trees, um, tupelo, or dead red oaks. And just seeing the absolute timber carnage of what the water's done to that has been nauseating. And kind of like I touched on a little bit, um, it, you know, the, the first the first people that I think of are 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 young Arkansans, right? That they see the frustration <clears throat> right now with duck hunting uh, and the decline of timber health, but they didn't you know, they didn't see it when it was at its prime. And if we don't do something, then they're not going to see it ever. Um, and I mean, I, I mean, that's personal to me. And because uh, it, it just had a huge impact on me growing up. And I know it has the potential uh, to do that for hundreds and thousands of other Arkansans. Um, Second, I would put in the category of its importance to the state economically. I mean, we just get a huge amount of people getting out there to hunt these GTRs and, um, you know, people buying hunting licenses, but also getting gas, buying biscuits, buying candy bars, whatever. Um, And, you know, it has secondary and tertiary effects all throughout the state, and particularly in the eastern and southeastern, northeastern part of the state, duck hunting is a big deal for art for Arkansans, even that don't uh, that don't duck hunt. And the third thing that why this is such a big deal is what this means for the habitat, and and that raises some eyebrows with people to hear somebody that's. Uh, a lawyer and a marine, not a biologist, to talk about the habitat. 
But if we lose Biomeda, if we lose Hurricane, if we lose Black River, these national flagship GTRs, that will have palpable, measurable, and long-term impact um, on the duck resource. And um, I think that'll be the short-term impact. The longer-term impact is really what impact does that have on the character of our state? And, and what does it mean to be an Arkansan and to have this love affair with the outdoors generally, but especially for duck hunting? And that's what's at stake here. And that's why it's so important. Yeah, Austin, I, I introduced episode one by referring to these iconic images of waterfowl and waterfowl habitats and, and all across North America. And one of those that stands out right at the top is mallards descending into the flooded timber in, in Arkansas or the, anywhere in the Mississippi Alluvial Valley. But Arkansas certainly holds its own crown in that regard because it is such such an inseparable part of what people think about when they think of duck hunting in Arkansas. It's flooded timber. And, if, and it would be a travesty to think if in 50 years we didn't have that. The, the, the people of the next generation. And that's what all this is about, right? Is ensuring that legacy, the, this iconic images, this iconic image of mallards descending into flooded timber is there for all generations to come after us, right? That's right. And, you know, spending a lot of years duck hunting on the East Coast, uh, I can't tell you how many people told me uh, ducks don't land in trees. <laughs> I said, you want to bet they don't? Yeah. Uh, you know, took, I've, I've brought people from Virginia out to duck hunt, from North Carolina, from South Carolina, from Florida. Um, and just to see the look in their face uh, when shooting time is five minutes away and there's ducks coming through the trees with no brakes on, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just wonderful. And, um, it, you know, we talked a little bit about this, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm the youngest director in Arkansas game and fish history. I'm the youngest one in the country. And, um, we think the, the average age of our, our public land waterfowlers is somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 to 25 years old. And, and the way that I've been phrased, framing this for that segment is, do you want to sit your grandchild on your knee and tell them what Biomeda was like and tell them what Hurricane was like or Black River? Or do you want one day to listen to them tell you what it's like? And and it, it it's not just about the natural resource. It's about what waterfowling means to the state. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, you're not using that just as a sales pitch. Because that's what it really is about. We've talked about the, why people hunt, the importance of hunting to people, and one of the most significant aspects of hunting, one of the most important aspects of hunting is that social, that friendship, that family bond that is developed through those activities, through through our hunting. And so it's not a sales pitch. That's what it is. You want to be able to pass that hunting legacy, those hunting experiences down to those that come after you. That's exactly right. So, Austin, let's talk a little bit about leadership in in what it takes to implement these difficult decisions, yet obviously important as we've talked about here. And, and your leadership, uh, the experience that you gained, instruction that you gained through throughout your, your military service, I suspect it's going to come up here. But help people understand the importance of strong leadership in these particular decisions and then 
and then your role particularly as well as that of the commission and how y'all work together along with all of your AGFC staff to kind of uh, to to move this forward to implement these decisions. Yeah. Well, I want to start off by saying that there is not a single former commissioner that I have talked to. I mean, going back as far as 20, 30 years ago, there's not a single former commissioner that I've talked to that has said anything other than had we known what we know now, we definitely would have done it sooner. And it's, it's such a huge impact to public opportunity and what people are used to that a lot of people, uh, a lot of generations of commissions, it, it was not by any means a failure of leadership. It was, are we going to have less rain next year? Is the drainage going to be better? Are we going to have the resources? And uh, when balancing that with the public opportunity, um, you know, these are really, really tough decisions. So it's never been a void of leadership. But when you do decide to, to take that big step forward, uh, it does take a lot of leadership. And the Marine Corps equipped me well for that. They put just an immense amount of thought into it. There's um, two sayings. Uh, well, one saying, one story that I've had in my mind quite a bit. Um, one is we have a, you know, we have a saying in the Marine Corps, Marines first, mission always. And that's never left me. And there was um, one afternoon I was in the Pentagon and had an opportunity to go brief the commandant. It would have been General Neller, so the four-star Marine that, that's uh, um, the service chief for the for the Marine Corps and me and some other Marines were briefing the commandant and one of the one of the other briefers was telling a story about Marines that he deployed with to Afghanistan. And he colloquially said, My Marines. He was referring to the Marines that were under his command in combat, which is not by any means uncommon for somebody to say that. And the commandant interjected and he said, Don't say that. Uh, don't say my Marines. He said, they're not your Marines. No one gave them to you. They belong to their husbands. They belong to their wives. They belong to their moms and their dads, but they're not yours. And it was pretty sharp. Uh, <laughs> and there was a long kind of awkward silence. And he, he leaned forward. I remember like it, it, it was yesterday. He said, as a leader, I don't own those Marines. The only thing I own is my failure. And so thinking about the hand that we've been dealt, thinking about guys like Luke and Buck and Rob and Brad and, and all these other guys that are just staking their professional careers to get to this point, to have this, to have this hand dealt to them, we're going to do the right thing for the resource, which is also what's in the best interest of, of our Kansans long-term. And if we fail, that's on me. Wow. Well, I, I, I know your staff appreciate your leadership there at, at the top. I, I certainly, um, it makes me want to, want to come work for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we're always hiring. Well, so come I, on. Yeah, I might have to, we might have to remove this part of the, of the conversation, but no, uh, no, that is, uh, that's, that's some truly inspiring words there. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that, that Luke did point out to me, and, and I think uh, another one of your staff did, is how much they appreciated you being out front with them 
um, on this issue. And and this kind of leads me to to the next next part of this discussion. Your organization, along with a lot of your partners, but but certainly you and your staff have been. Um, have been on sort of a, an all-out blitz in terms of communication, outreach, and, and, and education on what's happening and why it's happening and making available all sorts of resources to your constituents of the, of the state to ensure that they, they are as fully informed as possible. And I don't know how many public meetings you've held, but it's and how many additional ones you will will hold, but it's it's a bunch. And so I guess my question to you is is just pretty straightforward here. How have how has this information been received at the public meetings when people have a chance to hear more directly from you and from your biologist? Um, what's there? What's the, I'm sure there's some concern. I'm sure there's some uncertainty. But once they have an opportunity to hear from you and to hear from your biologist and other staff, what's been their reaction? And are they generally supportive? Do they recognize what's going on? What have you taken away from that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the perfect segue for it is actually to to get a running start from the last question you asked about leadership. Is that absolutely none of this would be possible if we did not have lockstep perfect harmony and support from our from our commissioners and you know a lot of us work for the agency full time and those guys do it for for their love of the resource and their desire to see the the public opportunity thrive Um, and their leadership through this has just been tremendous Uh, you know i've only been here since july but from folks in the agency that i've heard from that have that have been here longer they're so inspired they're so in, encouraged and so we have um unanimous recommendations from the staff we have you know me leading them through that and then we have complete support from the commission and so uh that made it it very easy to build out a communication strategy for it. And we thought a little bit outside the box of these public meetings. Uh, I have so much confidence in, in our staff that I lovingly uh, named them the Timber Mafia. Um, and those guys just do such great work that, that what I wanted to do was I wanted to highlight the unity we have in the staff um, the fact that we're accountable, transparent, and accessible to people and have the commissioners there with us. And I thought that the best way to do that was uh, to go out into the communities, to not have a dramatic set up on a stage with a microphone, traditional town hall, but to sit down with people uh, and literally break bread with them. Uh, we try to select venues where we could um, serve food, have something to drink, have tables there, and at in locations where we couldn't find a venue to to do that, we literally uh, brought out our own people to include the commissioners, and we cooked for them. Um, and the way that we've structured the meetings has been to to for me to kick us off, explain what we're doing, why we're doing it, and then to have anywhere from forty five minutes to an hour where people can engage one-on-one with a staff member. And I'll introduce the staff member and say, hey, he's responsible for this. So if you have a question about this, then you need to talk to him or her. 
And when we have 45 minutes of that kind of conversation where people aren't on a stage, they're, they're over a plate of barbecue, uh, they're eye to eye with a map, and they're actually having these meaningful conversations about what we're up against, what we're doing, why we're doing it. The feedback has been fantastic, just fantastic. Um, we held our second event at R&T Tap Room in Stuttgart. Very grateful for them being a uh, wonderful host for us. And if you would have told me that there would have been guys coming up to me afterwards offering to buy me a beer, I would have laughed at you. Um, we're never asking people to like this, right? I, I mean, I don't like this. Our staff don't like this. Our commissioners don't like this. But that doesn't that doesn't push us off the fact that it's the right thing to do. And so we know people don't like that. Um, you know, no one wants to see any circumstances where public opportunities decreasing, but people understand it. And, uh, you know, last night we had our third event in North Little Rock. There were about 90 people there. And um, overwhelmingly, I would say 10 to 1, the comments that I got one-on-one or in a group of people was, thank you. We're glad that you're doing this. That has to be really rewarding to know that the the hard work, the reliance on good information, the reliance on the trustworthiness of and the hard work, dedication of your staff to figure out the issues, come up with the solutions, and and make these recommendations and then carry them forward is being recognized by those constituents. So that 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 has to be that has to make you feel good, doesn't it? It really does. And one of the things that I um, had us do at these meetings was anybody that is agency staff uh, that is c- contributing to this topic wears a white Arkansas Game and Fish Commission shirt. Uh, and any of the commissioners, uh, they chose to wear light blue Arkansas Game and Fish Commission shirts. And and I make it a point to, to kind of pull myself away from whatever conversation I'm having in that 45 minutes to an hour uh, gap. And I'll look out over the room and just observe. And always about 20, 30 minutes in, every every single person with a white shirt or a blue shirt is having their individual conversations with about three to eight people. And for the most part, no one's yelling. Everybody's nodding their head up and down. And um, it's been so encouraging just to 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 see the commissioners and to see their staff have the impact that that I know that they're capable of. I'm glad you 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 explained the way you're hosting those meetings because I've seen some of the images on social media where you're kind of reporting out on uh, or or your your agency's social media account has been reporting out on on some of these these public meetings and they have pictures from them and I've seen that kind of interaction. I can I recognize some of the staff members and I see them at a table with four or five or six other individuals. And I was not I was I found myself wondering, okay, is this a situation where they stuck around afterwards and just having uh, having a beer, having something to eat and just having these extended conversations. But to know that that's the way you actually structured it is pretty cool because it is atypical. Um, and but I think it is so thoughtful and and productive to kind of to go that route. So kudos to you and your staff and and whomever else may have been responsible for uh, for coming up with that that particular arrangement. No, thank you. You and your dog are a team. 
Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Austin, I have a question here for you uh, for people that may not have been able to attend these public meetings and may not find an opportunity to get out to some of those, but may nevertheless be listening to this. So perhaps I guess the best way to ask this is what have been some of the most pressing or most common concerns that you hear from your constituents, from your hunters at these public meetings, and what's what's your response to those? Well, I would say the first concern is what does this mean for me? What are water levels going to look like this year? Are y'all going to drain the GTRs completely? And the short answer to that is is no, we're not going to drain these things completely. But what we're trying to achieve by lowering water levels um, is by trying to better replicate uh, what natural flooding looks like, where you hold water much lower than, than we've done historically, and be it river levels or be it uh, rainfall, it'll pulse up. The public opportunity is going to pulse up with it. And then whenever that, you know, WMA continues to, uh, to drain, it'll come back down to that baseline level. The, the, uh, the hardest part will be that's less predictable. And so we've been messaging that to people that we're not pulling the plug. We're trying to better model, uh, what mother nature does, uh, with flooding. And we've got, I think 16, yeah, 16 gauges at Biomita. Uh, we got one at, at Hurricane, and we've created a website on hefc.com. Um, we've created cards with a QR code that'll take people directly to that website. I tell people, keep it in your blind bag, keep it in your console, keep it on your nightstand, whatever. So you you can understand the water levels better and when public opportunity is going to pulse up and, and then come back down. Probably the the other, uh, you know, pretty consistent questions, skepticism, whatever you want to call it, is people say, hey, Austin, I got it. You're trying to save the trees. 
Y'all been saying for years that what kills these trees is water in the growing season. So why do you expect me to believe for a second that change the water levels during duck season is going to fix this problem? And that's a fantastic question. Um, it is true that during the growing season, when the water's warm, that that water on these trees is tr- tremendously stressful. But there's three reasons why these duck season changes are directly connected to the growing season. The first reason is that these trees don't have a calendar. And we used to put water on our WMAs as early as October 15th. Uh, Well, if we manage water to a lower level, then we're reducing the likelihood that even on November 15th, when we flood, that there will still be trees that have yet to enter dormancy. The second reason is sheet flow. Now, I didn't understand sheet flow before I I started this job and Luke and and the other folks on the team have have taught me a lot about it. But um, warm water, water during the growing season is not the only thing that that's harmful for these trees. It's stagnant water, whether it's cold stagnant water or warm stagnant water. And when we hold water on these trees during during duck season, it's by definition stagnant. Um, Our mature trees can handle that stress a little bit. Uh, When you get it year after year after year, that gets harder. But the trees that cannot handle it are the seedlings. So if our long-term goal is to have regeneration, to have new red oaks that'll be there for 80, 100, 150 years, we've got to start getting some regeneration. Um, And the only way for that to happen is to have sheet flow over the seedlings throughout duck season. And the way we do that, we manage to a lower level. When it pulses up naturally, be it rains or the river levels, it'll it'll have sheet flow going up and then sheet flow going down once uh, it falls out. One question I, I wanted to ask you, I've seen this uh, in terms of a concern from your uh, from the hunters, the people that are engaged in this, in the implications of this. Something I've seen on social media and some of the comments, it's something that we didn't talk about with Luke and Jake, and that is the role of the White River and uh, water levels in the White River and maybe discharges from some of the, uh, some of the lakes that, um, that the White River flows out of and how that interacts with all of this. Can you kind of, what's, what's the key issue there and what can you say in response to those kind of questions or those sort of, um, suggestions about needing to quote, fix the White River? You'll have to bear with me because I get pretty fired up about this one. (laughs) So we have seen higher levels on the White River than we ever have. That's a fact. Now, what what the reasons are behind that, that's the more complicated issue. And whether it's dredging, uh, whether it's working more with the Corps, all of those proposals have merit. I've, I've talked to a handful of professional hydrologists that say that dredging wouldn't work. I talked to a handful of hydrologists that said, yes, dredging would work. But even if we hit, you know, hit the dredging button right now, we'd have to do an environmental study that would take years. And the question is, what are we going to do in the interim? And when you see numbers like 42% seven years ago at Hurricane, and you see, you see stands of timber where the only thing taller than the buckbrush are dead red oaks, and you see the the same signs of that at Biomita. In my book, this comes down to accountability, and you know we can talk about our relationship with the core. 
the congressionally approved water management plan. You can talk about dredging. You can talk about rainfall. All of these other like very real long-term challenges. But the question that that I wrestle with and how I frame this at the public meeting is this decision is about accountability. And at the end of the day, Arkansans expect this agency to control the things that we can control and to fight like crazy on the things that are harder to control. So this is not an either an either or situation at all. We're not going to give up on working with the core on river levels, on on dredging or whatever the hydrologists say needs to be done to 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 fix some of the river levels. We're we're going to keep doing all of that, but but we're also committed to controlling the things that we can control in the short term to ensure that the resource can even make it to those longer term solutions. Austin, that's a perfect transition to the question that I wanted to ask you next, but but I'll, I'll first just say I uh, appreciate that explanation and for kind of helping me piece that together. And I, I, I think it's great that you are keeping, uh, you are looking at, at, at what can be done with the White River at some point in time or looking at that as a possible avenue f- to help in the long term um, or examining it as, as one of many potential contributors to, to the state of affairs, the state of the situation. So that, um, yeah, I hope, I hope your constituents appreciate that as well, because, and, and like you said, it's about also what we can do now, but not closing the door on some of these other issues that may be, may also be playing a role in the grand scheme of things. So with regard to sort of short-term and long-term, we inherently as human beings think more, think and act more on sort of short-term outcomes. It's just kind of the way we're wired. It, it requires a bit more sacrifice, a bit more, uh, a bit of a different thought process to make a decision based on some longer-term gain, especially when that's going to come at a short-term sacrifice. And that is exactly the type of situation that you, that you find yourself in and your hunters find yourself themselves in here. So talk about that a bit in terms of the importance of of trying to gain their support for some short-term sacrifice so that you can achieve that longer-term sustainability of this important resource. Well, that's right. And, and our ultimate goal is, I mean, not only to restore this natural resource to what it once was and um, to ensure that it's there for for generations to come in that state, but it's also to balance the the public's ac- access and enjoyment of it. And as we think about short term short term consequences, we're helping equip people with the information they need uh, to see where water levels are at. And uh, you know, Biomeda, for example, is a thirty three thousand acre wildlife management area. It's fed. It's fed by a watershed that's 750,000 acres. And so for for short-term purposes, we're trying to talk to people about that and say, if it gets rain in, in, in Conway, Arkansas, and they have a six-inch rain event, eventually that's going to come to Biomeda. And, you know, helping equip people with that kind of information about predictability and, and what that GTR is going to look like is a huge part of it. The other part of it is trying to, um, improve access to other places. Uh, you know, I, I can think of uh, uh, one wildlife management area in the eastern Arkansas region 
that has been a a draw only wildlife management area. But the way that we that we did that at Raft Creek, uh, you had to show up in person for. It. And uh, if you didn't get drawn, then you probably had to wake up at you know three o'clock in the morning and bring your buddies, only just to go home and drink coffee. And so we're trying to think outside the box about how we expand access for the people that can't hunt by meat or people that can't hunt, can't hunt hurricane. Uh, how do we point them in the right direction for places that they can hunt that may not be GTRs, but are still, you know, national quality duck hunting. And uh, that wildlife management area that I was just talking about, we moved that to an online drawn system that, that happens a few days prior where, you know, people, people in central Arkansas can apply for it that may have previously hunted at Biomita. We have another uh, program called W Rice. Uh, Ducks Unlimited has been immensely helpful with this. And we just got um, a large grant to provide more access. But, but basically what W Rice does is um, we provide payments uh, to rice farmers in Arkansas, basically, to not harvest all of their crops. Um, and then we can go out there with blinds and create public opportunities that people in Arkansas can go online and they can get drawn for. So we're we're thinking about the long term, but what we're doing in the short term to to make sure to make sure people that have the information that they need to make waterfowl decisions on where they're going to hunt, and also just where else can we think outside the box about increasing public opportunity? I hope uh, I hope the folks in your state really appreciate all the work that y'all are going through. I did not I did not make all of the connections in my mind about maybe some of the justification behind all of this additional work that y'all are doing to provide additional hunting opportunities. And I don't know if how deliberate that was like in terms of trying to comp- compensate for some of the uh, let's say uh, you know maybe lost opportunities that otherwise would have been available uh, in some of these. GTRs in some years. Uh, was that an important part of these additional programs, the uh, the W Rice and then these others, is to try to provide some compensation or sort of mitigate the um, the perhaps lost opportunity from some of these GTR changes? It was 100% calculated. Now, we've had the W Rice program, it's existed before we made these GTR decisions, but we, we continue to try to expand upon it. Um, and we certainly have tried to do that this year, both in terms of the quantity, you know, how, you know, how many places there are to hunt, but also the quality of it. Um, and yeah, so, so our guys can tell you (laughs) that nearly every single decision doesn't matter whether it's turkey, ducks, deer. One of the first questions that I'm going to ask you is, what's the public impact? And uh, we've been hard at it for a few months now. That was certainly one of the first questions I had, certainly one of the first questions that the commissioners had. And uh, trying to expand the public opportunity to mitigate the impact has, has has been very intentional and at the forefront of our minds. I have a couple of fairly direct questions here for you as we're going to start wrapping this up. Um, but these these questions have kind of have popped into my mind a couple of times. Maybe I've seen them somewhere, and, and I just wanted to make sure that I ask them uh, to get right to the point and so that other people can hear your, your answer. Uh, if there was if there was any doubt remaining at, at this point, I guess this is just an opportunity for you to clarify. Arkansas Game and Fish Commission is not abandoning Green Tree Reservoir Management, are they? 
100% not. We're doubling down on them. If we didn't care about these GTRs, we would keep doing exactly what we're doing. And we are not walking away from them. Let's take Hurricane. On July 1st, we started a renovation project of the southern portion of the GTR. We self-funded that. We went to Ducks Unlimited to help us with a NACA grant. We just got approved uh, for that grant, $2 million, thanks to Ducks Unlimited. And we're renovating that to improve it, to increase drainage. And we're going to start the second phase of it next summer. Uh, for Biomeda, you know, we initially wanted to manage water levels down to 178.5. Well, we can't do that because of access. And two of our most common access points would essentially be dry. So instead, this year, we're going to manage it to 179. We could drain it if we wanted to. And so we're thinking about the public. We're thinking about how special the 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 GTRs are to us. And we're not walking away from them. No, when, when I When I introduce our agency staff at these public meetings, they're all wearing white shirts. They're all up there with me. And I asked them, I was like, all right, I've just introduced y'all to the folks here tonight. Raise your hand if you are exclusively a public land duck hunter. And every single one of them raised their hand. And I, I think that's impactful to people because they assume that we're that we're giving up on this. And, you know, like I've I've told our team and the commissioners said, if I was afraid of a fight, I wouldn't join the Marine Corps. And this is worth fighting for. Another question for you here, Austin. I think it's, we've talked with Luke about this and you've mentioned it also. It's certainly fair to say that we're entering an era of green tree reservoir management in Arkansas where we're going to see greater year-to-year variation in water levels and perhaps the duration of that water on, um, on those GTRs. But that greater variation and that greater uncertainty doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have poorer hunt quality or poorer hunting opportunities, does it? Absolutely not. As we all know, ducks are a continental resource, and oftentimes the decisions that ducks make about whether to come to Arkansas are dictated by what happens in Missouri or Iowa or Minnesota or anywhere upstream of Arkansas. So it's you know hard for us to say how much water we're going to have, uh, how many ducks we're going to have, what weather's going to be like up north. But um, if we do have water, Right, we have a major rain event, and Biomeda floods up, and everything's right up north. Uh, then it'll be awesome. And um, if we want that con- to continue, that's the right thing to do. You know, we can look at at um, at what effect this predictability is going to have. I think if if it reduces some of the pressure, then. I think that will could be a net increase in the hunt quality. Uh, if we go back to Hurricane, well, one of the things that we're doing at Hurricane is we're removing those dirt plugs uh, to let water flow more naturally out of the southern GTR. But we're replacing those dirt plugs with uh, bridges. So when the Red River comes up and the water can't drain out of there, people will people will be able to boat in from from the Little Red River into the Southern GTR. So some of these renovations, will they result in less predictability? Yes, but at least with Hurricane, 
it's going to actually improve hunter access once we have the water. Hmm. I didn't realize that. That is that is pretty thoughtful, and, and that is a solution that delivers uh, multiple benefits there. So that's pretty cool to hear that. Now, you've talked about multiple times throughout this conversation and also with uh, when we're, we were speaking with Luke, he mentioned it also, all sorts of information that your agency is making available to your constituents to ensure they are kept up to date on this and can get the information at a moment's notice if they if they so choose. You mentioned the um, having, what was it you said? You gave a little QR code and said, put this in your blind bag. You know, all that type of stuff is phenomenal. Have to give, uh, you know, I have to recognize uh, the, the work of your agency and and going all out on that type of information sharing. And if I remember correctly, I think Luke said y'all have a dedicated page on your website. It's uh, agfc.com slash GTR. Does that sound right? Where people can find all sorts of information about the, the GTR management, GTR information, water level links, and all that kind of stuff. Is that right? That's 100% right. And somebody that wants information that can't find it is unacceptable to me. So if you go to our website and you don't find what you're looking for, send an email to askagfc uh, at agfc.ar.gov. You can find me on social media. You can shoot me an email. Uh, we're committed to ensuring that that people get their questions answered. A couple of final questions here. We, we talked a number of, with Luke and Jake, about a number of the funding sources that are going into these projects. One that we omitted, but is really, really important, and I want to point it out here, is funding from the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act, commonly known as Pittman-Robertson. Much of the funding for that program comes through the comes from excise tax on firearms, ammunition, and archery. So your hunters, the purchases of firearms, the purchases of ammunition, archery equipment, their money is coming back to that to your state to help fund some of these changes, some of these improvements, and the management of this of this resource. So uh, that that's just another one of the many funding sources that are coming into this, and another of the important ways in which our hunters and outdoor recreationists, in, in terms of uh, shooters firearm owners are contributing to to some of this work. And so, Austin, my, my question here, and you can touch on the, the PR funds as well as you want in your response, but I wanted to get you, give you an opportunity to talk about the importance of partners and partnership in delivering all of this work, uh, conceiving the solutions, and then acquiring the funding. Uh, and, you know, this isn't, I'm not giving you a layup to talk about Ducks Unlimited, although I know AGFC and DU have been longtime partners, but there are way more partners than Ducks Unlimited. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to those uh, from the seat of the director of AGFC. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I, so let's just start with Pittman Robertson. Uh, you know, an 11% excise tax that the manufacturers pay before their product hits hits the shelf is the single the single reason why the United States of America has the finest conservation resources in the world. And uh, I was at our Remington plant a couple weeks ago and they don't pay it begrudgingly. They are, they, they love to see the investment in the natural resources to bring back to Arkansans and every other state out there, what keeps people coming to the outdoors. And, uh, we, we would not, we would cease to exist. And so would every other fish and wildlife agency out there. If it weren't for Pimmon Robertson, um, and, and we're going to do more with that going forward, but I'm not going to show any cards right now. Um, 
relative to our partners, I am just immensely grateful for Ducks Unlimited. Uh, we've had a long relationship with them. I think uh, Corey Dunn, who I work with a lot, and Ed Penny would feel the same way that I think it's probably the best it's ever been right now because we're just laser focused on GTRs, on wetlands, and restoring this incredible resource. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier that Ducks Unlimited helps us write NACA grants. They help us pay for hydrology, for design and engineering. And through those NACA grants, we're able to leverage a 10 to 1 federal match. And that is just such a tremendous resource. And, and for us to be able to go to Searcy, Arkansas, to walk into a room that Ducks Unlimited has pulled people into the room for us, and we can talk about what we're up against, what we're going to need, and then say that through Ducks Unlimited, that we can use these NACA grants to take your money and put it right in your backyard for the benefit of ducks, for the benefit of hunters, and for long-term conservation is absolutely fantastic, but we couldn't do that without Ducks Unlimited. And the other partner that uh, I'm going to touch on is the Arkansas Game and Fish Foundation. Uh, they support our mission. They're led by John Rutledge, the chairman, and, and Deke Whitbeck. And, and uh, they're, along with Ducks Unlimited, the most important partner that we have. And um, these resources aren't, aren't just used by one segment of people. Uh, they're used by communities. They're used by families. And, and it's only intuitive that we would need partnerships. We would need communities to, to, to come alongside us in this. And we just couldn't do it without DU and the Arkansas Game and Fish Foundation. Austin, I have one final question for you. And I guess I'll start by just saying and acknowledging that change is difficult. Change is necessary in so many different instances, certainly in this one. What is the take-home message from you to your hunters? And then more specifically, what role and support do you need from them? Well, the take-home message is that we are committed to this. We are committed to forest health. We're committed to protecting the resource. And kind of the way we started out, that we're committed because this is personal. And not just for me, but from the perfect unison that we have with the commissioners and from the staff, but that we are 100% committed. And if it is a resources challenge, then we'll find the resources. Um, but that, that, that we are unswervingly, uh, unswervingly committed to restoring these green tree reservoirs to their rightful place. Um, and the other part of that, what do I need from them now? I, we need hunters to make a, a, a very real decision about what they want for the future of Arkansas duck hunting. They need to make a very real decision about what the difference is between a consumer and a sportsman. And that's what I keep coming back to is, is, is do I want this resource to exist in 15 years? Because if we keep doing what we're doing, that's what's going to take something away from somebody. Do we have a long road in between now and then? Absolutely. Are, are there things that we could have done better in the past? Absolutely. But we're focused on the future and we're focused on ensuring this natural resource provides economies and little boys and girls and families all the benefits that it has for decades. But we can't, 
we can't keep doing what we're doing. And after they've arrived at that decision, we want them to come to us. And if they want information, we'll give them information. If if they've got heartburn about how we're doing things, I, I personally want to hear about that. If they have ideas, we... I mean, we had a guy last night in North Little Rock that was a contract uh, habitat specialist for Duction Limited. You know, he's built reservoirs before, knows all about water. He's got ideas. So we want to hear people's concern. We want to ensure that they have the materials they need to enjoy the resource in the short term. We we want to hear about their frustrations. Um, and then I'd say the third thing that we need is we want people to tell other people saying, hey, this is what's going on. There is, there's all kinds of misinformation out there. And, you know, I, I've been ending these public meetings by saying, hey, there's 90 of y'all here tonight. If y'all go out and tell 10 people each, that's going to be 990 people. Um, so we're really doing everything that we can to, to, to help get the word out about what's going on. And people can be really helpful there. And the last thing would be, we have one more public meeting left. It's on Thursday, November the 18th. We're doing our monthly commission meeting in Arkansas State, Red Bulls, which we're fired up about. And that evening, November the 18th, is a Thursday from 5 to 7. This will be the last uh, public event. So if there's anybody out there listening that's inclined to come to that meeting, we would love to see you. Austin, this has been a tremendous uh, discussion. I really, really appreciate your time. Kudos to you, every part of your staff, and and for, for what y'all are doing. And thank you for allowing us to to help bring this message to our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us, Austin. Absolutely. I've enjoyed the conversation as well, and I appreciate the encouragement of our staff here. And this is an important first step, but we're nowhere near done here. And we're just getting started, and we're really excited about it. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Austin Booth, director of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. We we greatly appreciate him sharing uh, well over an hour of his time with us here and sharing his perspective on the important changes that are coming to Green Tree Reservoir Management in Arkansas. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great work he does with these podcasts. And to you, the listener, you're the most important part of this this venture. We thank you for spending your time with us and joining us today, and we thank you for your support and passion for wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. 
Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. 